You're listening to The Corbett Report, corbettreport.com. Welcome back, my friends. Welcome back to the continuation of The Corbett Report's Documentaries That Matter podcast series. I'm your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 26th day of January 2011. And for any new listeners in the audience who don't know about this series, well, this is something of a bonus midweek addendum to the Corbett Report podcast proper, which of course is released each Sunday. And this edition of the podcast is released on Wednesdays and features the audio of a documentary that I think is worth watching. And if not watching, well then listening too. So I take the audio of various quality uh, documentaries and put them out for listeners to download, listen to, and pass along to others to inform them of important topics because I can't do everything myself and I can't make all of these documentaries and I can't do all this work, but there are people out there who are doing it, so I want to highlight their work and uh, just increase the amount of knowledge in the world. So here we are, and this week uh, I have another excellent documentary lined up for you. This one is called Professional Perspectives on Water Fluoridation, and it comes from the Fluoride Action uh, Network at fluoridealert.org. And of my listeners will probably be familiar with them if you've heard the previous episode of this podcast on Know Your Toxins Sodium Fluoride, where we talked to Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network. And at that time, I recommended everyone go to fluoridealert.org because it is an absolute wealth of resource on... It ha- contains a wealth of resources, sorry, on uh, the uh, f- water fluoridation issue and not only water fluoridation, but all the other fluoride issues, including fluoride pesticides and other such things and other ways that we're being in uh, uh, having this ingested. And uh, it's an extremely important topic for people who are living in water fluoridated areas uh, that we we press right now on this nerve because uh, the EPA, as my listeners will know, has just recently made a, a landmark ruling to lower the maximum allowable level of uh, of fluoride in the water supply. So it's important that instead of using that as an excuse to to stand down and to say that we've won the fight, no, the time is now to take up the fight even stronger and to get get the fluoride out of the water altogether. So on that note, I'm presenting this audio of this documentary, which is extremely short, extremely sweet, and right to the point. So I wholeheartedly recommend that you not only listen to this yourself to get the information on why we need to get the fluoride out of the water, but also you can use this as a little info nugget to give to others who might not be informed on this issue. It's extremely concise and it comes from uh, medical doctors and dentists and Nobel laureates and others, so it is an excellent little uh, piece of information to pass along. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. But of course, this series and this documentary Uh, would not be coming to you today if it were not for the generosity of the filmmakers who uh, behind the scenes give me the permission to play this on the air for free. So once again, I urge people, if you enjoy this uh, podcast and if you like the information, please go and support the filmmakers behind these documentaries. So on that note, this week I'm urging people to go to fluoridealert.org and make a donation to the Fluoride Action Network. Again, they they have an absolute wealth of resources on this subject and they are an absolute fount of information. So if you find that information useful, please show your uh, support by making a donation. And with a $100 donation, if I understand correctly, you can get a DVD copy of this video, uh, Professional Perspectives on Water Fluoridation, which is available for free to watch on the homepage. But if you want the DVD high quality, plus uh, special features, then please uh, make a donation and you can receive a copy. 
And uh, for just as a programming note for people who are interested, I will be having another interview with Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network later this week as sort of an addendum to this talk where we'll, I'm sure, not only get it more into the water fluoridation issue, but some of the other fluoride issues, because there's also been some big developments on that front that you will not see trumpeted in the mainstream media, but which are nonetheless important. And finally, before we get into this documentary, I just want to let people know that I've just put up a, doc, a video on on the front page of CorbettReport.com. Uh, for people who are not yet used to the new website and aren't sure of all the special bells and whistles and features, I've just made a video showing you uh, some of the features and, and how to do certain things on the website. So if you're interested, please check that out, and I hope it uh, helps you as you start to explore the new CorbettReport.com website. So once again, I leave you with this professional perspectives on water fluoridation from the Fluoride Action Network at fluoridealert.org. As a result of fluoridation, our children will be healthier and happier. There is no health hazard that justifies postponing water fluoridation. You're not dealing with a benign substance. There's much too much risk of far too little benefit. Fluoride <clears throat> is safe. They decided far too early before the science was properly in that fluoridation was a good thing. The dental community has no idea of the toxicology behind fluoride. Fluoride does not just affect the teeth. Fluoride is a neurotoxin. This is being drank by so many people throughout the U.S. every day. But who's responsible? Who's the doctor making sure we're not getting too much? The weight of evidence actually is more in the favor of fluoride doing damage than against. This is against all principles of modern, modern pharmacology. It's really obsolete. Water fluoridation is the practice of adding fluoride compounds to the public water supplies for the purpose of reducing tooth decay. The policy which began in the United States in the 1940s has been hailed by the Oral Health Division of the United States Centers for Disease Control as one of the top 10 public health achievements of the 20th century. However, a growing body of science indicates that fluoridation is neither safe nor effective. In this video, we examine why over 2,000 health, scientific, medical, dental, and environmental professionals are calling for an end to fluoridation worldwide. Water fluoridation is the dispensing of a drug. This is a way of delivering a medicine. Fluoride is a drug, is a medicine. Fluoride is being put in specifically to alter you physically, to make a physical change in you. This is not chlorine. This is not any number of the other uh, chemicals that are used to treat the water, make the water safe and drinkable. It's not like chlorine used to make the water supply safe and kill the bugs in the, in the, in the water supply. This is the only thing anywhere in the world that gets added to the municipal drinking waters to actually treat the human, to treat the body. There is absolutely no drug on the market that's given in a one-dose-fits-all situation. It's absolutely obsolete. It's, uh, in modern pharmacology, it's so clear 
that even if you have a fixed dose of a, of a drug, the in individuals respond very differently to one and the same dose. Now in this case, you have it in the water and people are drinking different amounts of water, so you have huge variations in the consumption. You can have an athlete, a laborer, who are drinking many, many times the amount of water. You can have someone who's diabetic, who's drinking a ton of water compared to the average. I mean, the whole name of the game in pharmacology is to deliver the right dose to the right person at the right time. And that's not what fluoridation does. It can't do it. I would prefer an individual use approach. I would have no problem with a doctor or dentist prescribing fluoride for a patient that he was keeping in touch with and monitoring for possible side effects and for, for the efficacy of the drug. That's essentially what's done with any other drug, and that's the way it should be done for fluoride. We don't put other things in the water to try to keep everybody's blood pressure down or everybody's stroke risk down, and there's no reason why we should be trying a one-size-fits-all approach for this either. The problem with adding medicine, medicine to water is an obvious one of consent, that people can't give their informed consent, which is a basic of medical ethics. We are allowing communities to do to everybody in the community what an individual doctor cannot do to an individual patient, and that is prescribe medication uh, regardless of the informed consent of the patient. What physician that you know in his right mind would treat somebody whose medical history he doesn't know, who he's never met, with a substance that meant to do change in their bodies and just with the advice have as much or as little of it as you like but you'll take it for a lifetime because it's meant to help somebody else's teeth. Voters medicate each other whether they want it or not. And if 51% of the voters say, we're going to medicate everybody in town, and they all get medicated. Fluoride is not an essential element. There's not a bodily requirement for fluoride. Fluoride is not an essential nutrient, certainly as far as the UK goes. Uh, you look it up in the, in the books to see what our Department of Health says and they say that no uh, essential use has been found for fluoride in, in the human body. So it is not in the category of a vitamin and apart from anything it's miles more toxic than any of the vitamins. Whatever benefit there is from fluoride on teeth is topical rather than systemic. It's been shown that it's really a topical effect principally rather than a systemic effect. It's effective topically, not when it's swallowed. There's no reason for people be exposing themselves, all their internal organs, to fluoride when if it works you can you can do something topically. If you want to prevent sunburn you don't drink suntan lotion you put it on your skin and so if you want to uh, have the benefits of fluoride in oral health what you do is put it on the surface of the tooth and, and not not drink it. The quality of evidence for topical fluoride is in a different league from the evidence on water fluoridation. I mean, absolutely no question about that. Adding fluoride to toothpaste, you are going to ingest some of it, um, and that needs to be taken seriously. Um, but it's not made to be ingested, and it's made to be rubbed onto the surface of the tooth, which is where you're supposed to have it. It's a much smarter way to go about using fluoride in dentistry. It's widely accepted that the topical application of fluoride to the surface of teeth is beneficial. 
Uh, I have no dispute with that. However, I can see absolutely no justification for asking the whole population to take it systemically, to swallow it, internalize it um, for that benefit because it's available in toothpastes, it's available in dental treatments at the dentist. Um, so I, I, I don't think you can justify the fluoridation of drinking water uh, on the lines of a topical treatment to teeth. It's uh, illogical. One of the recommendations I've made is because we, we now know that it doesn't need to be swallowed, that the public has to be informed. Again, informed consent. They should be told that it doesn't work by swallowing it. One of the things that the uh, proponents are very careful to stay away from is to mention how many people don't fluoridate. Most of the Western world does not fluoridate their water. Um, we are definitely in the minority in the fact that we push water fluoridation. Many of the countries in the world, the developed countries, no longer fluoridate, never did fluoridate. Most European countries do not fluoridate. Austria, Belgium, the Netherlands, France, Germany, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Iceland. Italy, Greece, Portugal. The overwhelming number of countries in the world do not fluoridate, and guess what? Their teeth are just as good, if not better, than ours. One of the most striking things, I suppose, was to look at trends in um, tooth decay over time in various countries. The comparisons between fluoridated countries like America and unfluoridated ones like most of Europe and indeed most of the world are, are very interesting. If you look at the World Health Organization database for 12-year-olds, that tooth decay has been coming down as rapidly in these non-fluoridated European countries as it's been coming down in the United States and other fluoridated communities. Areas that don't fluoridate have seen the same decrease in tooth decay that we have seen over the same time span. If you ask someone to pick out the lines, the decline lines, which are in countries uh, where water is fluoridated from those in countries where it isn't fluoridated, actually you can't pick them out. So I found that very surprising uh, against the background of, as I say, having been a default fluoridationist. What you really need to look at and, and, and what matters at the end is what's your total body load. Children are getting a lot of fluoride from a lot of different sources. We've had a tremendous increase in fluoride from many sources. Water is one source. Um, when we drink that water and when it's made into soda pop or it's made into beverages and made into soups, made into other products, we get fluoride from that source also. And we also have a lot of pesticides that have come on the market that leave fluoride residues on fruits and vegetables. Fluoride is a very common component in pesticides. And so, uh, you know, if you drink a glass of grape juice uh, that's a non-organic grape juice and it's got skins on it, you're going to get a very high level of fluoride just from your grape juice. And they're also getting it from toothpaste. Studies have shown that you swallow quite a bit of toothpaste, or the children swallow quite a bit of toothpaste. Uh, even if they're, you know, told not to swallow it, uh, it just happens by accident. They they don't rinse as well as adults and sometimes they don't have as good swallowing actions and therefore they're getting a lot of fluoride from that. So who's monitoring this exposure of when are we getting too much? 
No one's monitoring that. Nobody's looking at the total exposure to ensure that we're not getting too much and that certain subgroups aren't getting too much. The reality is we need to reduce our fluoride intake. In 2005, the Center of Disease Control admitted that 32% of our children in the United States, including children in non-fluoridated areas, have dental fluorosis. About a third of the children in this country have some form of dental fluorosis, meaning that they had too much fluoride exposure during their early childhood. Dental fluorosis is damage to the tooth because of too much fluoride exposure. We swallowed too much fluoride and it shows up as white spots, brown spots on the teeth. You see these white spots uh, or splotches or lines. Uh, in, in more severe fluorosis, you actually see the surface layer flaking off. You see brown spots. And in severe cases, uh, there's actual chipping, pitting, and, and erosion of the tooth. Dental fluorosis is a biomarker that your child has been overexposed to fluoride during the development of their teeth. We now believe that there are several mechanisms involved. Fluoride could be inhibiting the enzymes, the serine proteinases that are degrading the final traces of proteins that are left behind in the teeth. The mechanisms have something to do with interference with the enamel forming proteins or inhibition of some enzymes during that critical period. To do that, uh, impacting those, uh, uh, the enamel cells and the teeth, means that it can also impact cells elsewhere in the body. The promoters have always had this faith that you could damage the growing tooth enamel, the enzymes, the G proteins, or however that happens, without damaging any other tissue in the body at the same time. And I think that's very unlikely. Not only does it, is it an effect on teeth, what's happening in the teeth is, is very likely happening in the bone as well because the, we have the similar kind of structure of, of hydroxyapatite mineral structure in the bone and the tooth. Uh, your teeth are sort of a, a window into the bone, a window into your skeleton. So if there's this adverse effects going on in, in the teeth, there are very likely to be adverse effects going on in the bone. It's a, a sign of toxicity. It is not just to be take or dismissed as, as merely a cosmetic effect. This whole debate has been captured for over 50 years by the dental lobby, by dentists whose preoccupation is teeth, well, teeth are not the only issue in the body. As dentists, we diagnose pathology of the mouth, diseases of the mouth. And we tend to disregard or not involve ourselves with the diseases of the rest of the body because it's not within our purview, it's not within our license to diagnose other parts of the body. Most definitely, the dental community has uh, had a, a monopoly, if you will, on the study of fluoride. And they have absolutely... Uh, put use tunnel vision to look at fluoride as a, a dental concern. However, it is not just a, a dental concern. It's a toxicity concern. The National Research Council has a report that just came out in 2006, which is one of the best sources of finding out what fluoride is doing to the rest of the body. One of the most interesting things in the report is the diversity of the number of organs that are being affected by the fluoride beyond either the teeth or the bones. We, we do need to get away from looking only at 
fluoride in connection with teeth, we need to be considering its effect on a whole bunch of other systems in the body, on, on people's general health in a whole lot of respects. I think the ADA's recent statement on warning against adding fluoridated water to baby formula is a uh, watershed uh, decision. The American Dental Association has finally done what it should have done years ago, and that is to tell parents not to use fluoridated tap water to make up formula. The American Dental Association recommends that we not uh, have fluoridated water be used for making infant formula or for infants to, to drink. One of the messages which I think is extraordinary in this whole issue is that the level of fluoride in mother's milk is so extremely low. It's 0 0.004 parts per million, which is 250 times less than we put in the drinking water. There have been a couple um, men who have said, well, maybe mother's milk is flawed. But most scientists don't go that route. They say mother's milk seems to be the best we have, the best we know of, and if it's low in fluoride, maybe that's what we should have for infants is low fluoride. Nature has devised a system for keeping fluoride away from the infant, and we're circumventing that by putting fluoride into drink water. And I think there are consequences. I think parents should know that fluoride is an extremely active chemical when it gets into our body. It can interfere with the pineal gland. It can interfere with the thyroid gland. The thyroid gland and the pineal gland are both intimately involved with brain development, mental development. A real concern with, with, with young kids, especially with, with newborn infants, is that the, the blood-brain barrier is not fully developed at that point. And when uh, children are drinking a formula made with uh, fluoridated drinking water, they're, they're getting a, a huge uh, an inappropriate dose of fluoride in the developing brain. This may be part of the reason, for instance, of the depression of IQ that we've seen in these Chinese studies. You do not want to create a fluoride exposure during a period of brain vulnerability. All of these things are, are indicators, serious indicators, that you shouldn't expose young babies to fluoride. And of course, that's exactly what happens when you put fluoride in the water. How are low-income kids supposed to, or low-income families, supposed to avoid giving their kids fluoridated water? They can't afford to avoid it. They can't afford to seek sources of, of drinking water uh, that has uh, no fluoride in it. I think that the low-income communities could be at higher risk for adverse effects from fluoride exposure or from water fluoridation. As far as I can see, there is no doubt that the uh, intake of fluoridated water is going to interrupt basic functions of nerve cells in the brain. The NRC committee did review the available information of, on fluoride effects on the brain on neurological uh, function, and we concluded that, that there does seem to be evidence for some effects there needs to be more study of several areas. There certainly seem to be effects on the developing brain, but there may also be effects on, on the brain in older individuals as well. The research on the brain uh, since our study was published 
has uh, absolutely confirmed uh, what we, we predicted and what we reported in 1995. There are now 30 animal studies which indicate that fluoride could damage the brain. And this comes on top of a number of studies from China which indicates that fluoride lowers IQ in children. I mean, there's lots of epidemiological evidence now that, for example, it might affect the intelligence of the child coming out of China, and that's been reviewed by the National Academy of Sciences. They say that you can't be absolutely certain about it, but there's quite a strong indication, and we need further research. In my view, a fluoride today, as far as intelligence and the brain is concerned, is where lead was in the early 70s. In the early 70s, scientists knew that high levels of lead could cause brain damage in children and other health effects, but they felt that subclinical levels of lead were okay. I think the same thing is happening now with fluoride, that it's only a function of getting more and more sensitive tests to show that even lower levels of fluoride can cause lowering of IQ and other subtle effects. You know, while these bits of further research are going on to elucidate what the absolute truth is, we should be taking a more precautionary stance and saying, okay, for the time being, we don't, we don't fluoridate. The concern about fluoride and the effect on the thyroid is multifold. Fluoride was used to suppress hyperactive thyroid, uh, especially in Europe back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, and the doses that were used to suppress thyroid activity are now uh, in the range that people are getting in the, in the U.S. from this vast overexposure to fluoride. There is a consistent body of literature that indicates that fluoride exposure does reduce thyroid function in humans and in experimental animals and that the exposures in humans associated with these effects are in the range of exposures that are expected with people who drink fluoridated water. A large percentage of the population in the United States does have some problem with the thyroid gland. The uh, large number of people who have hypothyroid, underactive thyroid now, may very well be related to the fact that there's so much fluoride in the environment. The ingestion of fluoride does affect the actions of the thyroid gland. A hypothyroid individual should definitely be concerned about drinking fluoridated water because it would take a very serious clinical condition and it could make it even worse. The effects of hypothyroidism, even probably borderline hypothyroidism, are things like depression, lethargy. When a person just doesn't feel like getting up and doing anything, uh, there are obviously a lot of things that can cause that, but low thyroid function is among them, and low thyroid function is a contributor, contributor to depression in, in some, perhaps many people. We have several studies, as a matter of fact, in the United States that have shown that uh, uh, fluoride can increase uh, bone fracture rates. Peer-reviewed studies in, in prestigious journals such as the Journal of the American Medical Association that showing increased risk of bone fracture based on the amount of fluoride that a person consumes uh, and consuming it in the level that uh, people get from drinking fluoridated drinking water. We do know from animal studies that the uh, strength of the bone actually starts to decline the more fluoride you have in the bone. 
The fluoride makes the bone more brittle. Sufficient accumulation of fluoride in the bones seems to make them weaker. It makes them more dense on x-ray film, but this is associated with a more brittle structure. And of course, we're concerned about hip fractures uh, because that's a huge cost to the healthcare system. A hip fracture in the elderly, in all too many cases, means that uh, that, that person is not going to walk again or, or will even die. It's well known in the endemic fluorosis areas that the first sign of skeletal fluorosis is aching joints. The early stages of skeletal fluorosis are associated with bone and joint pain. Fluoride causes symptoms identical to arthritis. You cannot uh, distinguish the fluorosis or early fluoride poisoning from rheumatoid or osteoarthritis. It's very much the same. Nobody, to my knowledge, has yet looked carefully at fluoridated cities um, or fluoridated populations and looked at the symptoms of arthritis to determine whether or not fluoride as, is contributing to this uh, endemic or, or possibly uh, epidemic of arthritis that we have in North America. I think there's every reason to be concerned that today fluoride is one of the factors contributing to the epidemic of arthritis in this country. According to the CDC, one in three American adults have some form of arthritis. That's 68 million Americans. Supposedly the fluoride exposures in this country are not usually high enough to get to skeletal fluorosis, but again that's an area that really has not been studied well. I, I think it's likely, it's not a given, but I think it's likely that a lot of, of early stage skeletal fluorosis does show up as bone and joint pain and but it's never recognized as being skeletal fluorosis. If I was an arthritic uh, individual I would be eliminating every possible source of fluoride exposure that I could think of. If you ask most dentists and ask them what they're putting in the water most dentists would say sodium fluoride, pharmaceutical sodium fluoride, the same stuff that is in toothpaste. They have absolutely no idea that it's in nine out of ten cases hydrofluorosilicic acid and that hydrofluorosilicic acid is a waste product for the phosphate industry. This has come about because for maybe a hundred years the phosphate fertilizer industry put out two very very poisonous gases into the environment hydrogen fluoride and silicon tetrafluoride. Eventually they were required to capture those and they did it with a wet spray, water, and that water converts these two very toxic gases into hexafluorosilicic acid. And it's this scrubbing liquor, which is about 25% strong, is put into tanker trucks, driven around the country, and added to our drinking water. If this stuff goes out the stack, it's an air pollutant. If it goes directly into the water supply, if they would take that scrubber liquor and dump it into the, to the local river, uh, it's a water pollutant. But if they put it into a tank wagon and sell it to somebody, a water authority, like magic, it's not a pollutant, and they can take that then to your drinking water supply and not discharge it into your river. They just charge it directly into your drinking water supply, slowly bleed it in, and as magic, it's no longer a toxic pollutant it's now a, what's called a product. It's never purified. It's not a pharmaceutical-grade compound. It's a mixture of whatever that collects in the stack gases. 
and uh, it contains lots of contaminants, a lot of uh, heavy metals. When you're talking about adding fluoride to drinking water, you're not just talking about adding fluoridation chemicals. You're talking about adding all of the industrial waste byproducts that come along with it. In Oregon, where we've got 135 communities that already exceed uh, the drinking water standards for arsenic, uh, the idea of adding any more arsenic to drinking water, even if it's a small amount, just doesn't make a lot of sense. I find very few people who actually, with an open mind, read through the science, understand the significance of the questions and what uh, the direction that all the new science is pointing in terms of the risks of fluoride, who still go on to say we ought to force it into everybody's drinking water. We have better ways of improving dental health today than using fluoridation. And let's be sensible about it. It, it doesn't work systemically. It works topically. It is unethical. It is unnecessary. It's ineffective. It's dangerous. I mean, this is so obvious. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so really very, very far-fetched. You have the teeth there. They are available for you. Why drink the stuff?